shot heard round the world Called up those British bastards That put me to the sword Well I died a lowly subject The king and monarchy Yeah I'm the first American Who made this country free What are you doing with my country? What are you doing with the founding tree? I gave my life so you could be free And this is how, yeah this is how You repay me Well I hit that beach of running With an M1 in my hand Before I got to cover I was face down in the sand well, I'm proud to die on D-Day, and I'd do it all again. The time has shown me death and war, freaks, politics, and sin. What are you done with my country? What are you done with the white picket fence? I gave my life so you could be free. And this is how, yeah, this is how. You repay me Yeah, I keep looking down See it all go wrong My blood mixed with the dirt That the Yankees call their home Well, I never would have done it If I knew what they would do The land I fought and died for The land that I gave you Hi folks, this is Jack Spirico and welcome to a very special Veterans Day show. The song you just heard is kind of angry. It's from Angry Men and it's the voice that uh, Greg Yowes and I gave to them. Uh, when we thought back to all the sacrifices that have been made by people uh, that, that have you know given everything that they had for an idea of freedom and for a freedom that's not just something that's given, that's not just something that is supposed to be there, but the people that they fought for are supposed to preserve. We can look around at a lot of liberty that's been lost in this country, and we can blame politicians, and we can blame so-and-so, and we can blame this and that, but the reality is you and I are to be the guardians of liberty. Let every man be his own guardian. Today's show is not going to have any type of commercialism in it. There will be no sponsors, no guest spots, nothing like that. Uh, all it's going to be is a rebroadcast, mostly, of the episode that I did last year. This is the fourth year that we're doing this show. I re-recorded it in studio quality last year because the first time I did it, it was done in the car. 
It came out really well, and I plan on leaving it that way, with a few exceptions. I'm doing a little bit different. First of all, I opened it up with that. And I want you to think about the song that you just heard. And I want you to think it how it how it joins and melds with the other music. This is what we're more accustomed to that you'll hear in today's show. I'm sure I've violated a lot of copyrights today, but hopefully people like uh, Toby Keith will be okay with me using their music uh, the way I believe that it was intended to be used. And before I go into the rebroadcast portion of the show, you're going to hear another song. You're going to hear a song by Toby Keith, American Soldier. And I want you to think about the way that those two things justify. And I want to speak to a certain segment of society, and indeed I know a segment of my audience today, as I prepare you for what you're about to hear. There's a lot of people out there, specifically in the libertarian movement, that confuse being anti-war with being anti-soldier. Or they confuse the soldier with the bureaucrat that sends the soldier off to war. There's a reality, a fundamental reality that you must accept if you want to be a defender of a republic. No republic can stand unless there are men who are willing to fight and die for said republic. And you may not like everything that our military does or everything that our military is asked to do. And you may not want to see them in certain parts of the world right now. I know I don't. I know that there's a lot of places where I'd like to bring them home from. And put them to work defending this nation on a more concrete level. But we don't get to make those decisions on a daily basis. And they don't get to make those decisions ever. We get to make those decisions with who we send to Washington to run this place. And at least we get that right. But once you raise your hand, once you take the oath, once you say that you do solemnly swear to uphold in defense to the Constitution... And you're given an order unless it's an illegally moral order we, if we follow it. That's what these men are asked to do. That's what they're asked to do every day. And I'm going to tell you the history and the story of veterans today. Today, And if you've already heard it, listen to it again because it's a story that we do not tell. It's a truth that we do not tell. It's a story of how thousands of men died because somebody wanted a date and an hour to sound cool when somebody said it. I'll tell you more about that in a bit. Before I do, though, now let's contrast the song that you heard the show opened with, with this song, one that I certainly love and I find very special place in my heart, but it also takes me back to a place a long, long time ago. And with that, just Toby Keith, American Soldier, raise and I'll be back to tell you the story of Be a lover to their mother, everything to everyone, up and that them bright and early. My business in my suit Yeah, I'm dressed up for success From my head down to my boots I don't do it for the money There's bills that I can't pay I don't do it for the glory I just do it anyway Providing for our futures My responsibility Yeah, I'm real good on the pressure being all that I can be I can't call in sick on Mondays When the weekend's been too strong I just work straight through the holidays Sometimes all night long You can bet that I stand ready When the wolf growls at the door Hey, I'm solid, hey, I'm steady Hey, I'm true down to the core And I will always do my duty the price I've counted up the cost I know the sacrifice Oh, and I don't want to die for you But if dying's asking me I bear that cross with honor Cause freedom don't come free I'm an American soldier An American Beside my brothers and my sisters I will proudly take a stand With liberties in jeopardy I will always do what's right I'm out here on the front lines Sleep in peace tonight American soldier
sisters, I'm a pallet, take a stand. When liberty's in jeopardy, I will always do what's right. I'm out here on the front line, so sleep in peace tonight. American soldier, I'm an American, an American, an American soldier. I think it's important that we stop once in a while and we, we appreciate people that have done things for us. As modern survivalists, as preppers, as people that want liberty and freedom, we need to look to our troops. And There's not going to be any housekeeping today. There's no interest segment here. This is the show. Uh, there is no advertising today. There's nothing other than recognizing the people that have done so much to help us have what we really want. And I was saddened today is I went to one of my favorite websites on the web, really, lourockwell.com, and read an article by a guy that said, thank a vet, why should I? Well, hopefully today I'm going to answer that question for him and for everyone else. You know, I know that in our community we have a lot of libertarians. I count myself among them. And part of the libertarian platform is war is a bad thing, man. It's not what we want. It's not what we're looking for. And we believe that we've been led into war on occasion that did not need to be fought, and we would have been better off had we not fought it. And it's so easy, especially for the people who never stood up, who never took the oath, who never did a damn thing, who just sit back here and object, to lump the soldier in with the politician that decides where the soldier goes. I personally find that to be distasteful bullshit. That will be probably the only vulgarity I will use today, but there's no other word for it, because that's what it is. It is bullshit when you do that. Our soldiers, our sailors, our airmen, our marines, these people, they're the ones that keep the check on the system in place. We have politicians that if they could get away with it would run over everything. They would take everything. I've seen advice written to our veterans, actually to our young people to not become veterans, to not join the military. Advice to parents, don't let your kids join the military. As though you have a choice as a parent when your son or daughter at 18 says, this is what I'm going to do with my life. You have no choice. You don't decide whether they go or not. You don't put your kids in the military they stand up as young men and women and they take an oath to our Constitution. And as long as they're taking an oath to the Constitution, and as long as they come from our best young men and women, they are the check on the system. The advice that I see given, don't let any good, moral, upright, upstanding young person join the military, well, that's a great idea now, isn't it, folks? What would we end up with then? We would end up with a military made up of People that aren't morally upright, fine young people. People that would not question, that would just say, fine, you want me to burn this? I'll burn it. But see, that's not what happens, is it? See, here's what I know that the people that haven't served don't know. Yeah, you can find mistakes, and you can find people in our military that are not the best people. You can find some groups in our military that have done terrible things, and you'll find that in any military anywhere in the world. And you'll find people that have done terrible things that are priests. And you'll find people that have done terrible things that are teachers. See, our soldiers are citizens. They're citizens. They're people, just like you and me. 
And when you get any group of people together that's large enough, there will be some segment of them that are less than decent people. Again, it doesn't matter whether they're soldiers or police officers or teachers, priests or mechanics. or doesn't matter what it is. You put 100,000 people or more into a group, some small portion of them will be the lowest portions of society masquerading. We should not judge the whole. We should not dislike every teacher. We should not hate every police officer. We should not hate every priest. And we should not fail to thank them for educating our children, protecting us, and connecting us with the spiritual realm because of what some small portion of them do. And the same thing must be said for our soldiers today. And that is the intro I wanted to give you. But with today being Veterans Day, I wanted to relate to you some, some things from my past, some things from my present, some things that I've seen, places I've been, people I've talked to. I wanted to tell you the real history of Veterans Day. I want to tell you where it came from, why it's the 11th day of the 11th month, the 11th hour, and what all of these things mean. You know, first and foremost, I want people to really understand the sacrifice that our soldiers, sailors, airmen, marine, coast guard, including, make. National guardsmen, reservists, everybody. Because I don't think... When you're sitting there in the middle of your life at 28 or 38 or 48, and you've lost that spark of youth, and you've, you've been long since you've had that freedom. And you know, most kids in this country at 24, 25 are still living off their parents on some level. Yeah, I mean, you really have to think about, what, what is the average 22-year-old kid doing today? Now, if you're a 22-year-old kid out there busting your hump to make it, I'm not putting you down, but you know what your friends are doing. You know what the people you've kind of left behind are doing. And at 17 sometimes, at 18, at 19, these are the average ages. That young man or woman steps forward into a uniform, raises their hand, and says, I do solemnly swear to uphold and defend the Constitution of the United States of America, and obey the orders of the officers and the non-commissioned officers appointed over me, and obey the orders of the President of the United States. If they're in the National Guard, they, they also add in the governor of their state. That's a big commitment for a 17-year-old, isn't it? It's really big. And the people that say, like I started out with, why should I thank a veteran? Uh, on some levels, I just want to say something I won't say, because I don't want to make this... Negative today. I want to make this as positive as possible. But it starts there. It starts with that 18-year-old kid that could spend the next four years out drinking and partying with his buddies who's willing to do something that many people will never be willing to do and ends up in a foreign nation somewhere either dodging bullets or in some cases building schools for children that don't have them. It starts there. And it keeps going. You know, one thing I really want you to do today, I want you to go out and I want you to thank a veteran. I want you to find a veteran. I don't want you to do this by email. I don't want you to do this in a chat room. I want you to go out and I want you to find somebody who served. And I know there's somebody out there that you know that served. And I don't care if they spent their entire career in South Carolina. They wore the uniform, and if they had been asked to go, they would have went. And I don't care if they were just in the National Guard. Do you know how many men of our National Guardsmen are overseas right now? Do you know how many of our National Guardsmen died in Vietnam? Do you know how many of our National Guardsmen died in World War II? I don't care who they are. Just because they might have served at a time when they weren't asked to go anywhere doesn't mean they wouldn't have went. Whoever they are, walk up to them, and on today of all days, say thank you for your service. And I want you to do it in person because you're going to see something that if you've never seen it before, it's going to be hard for you to understand. And I think a lot of people that take the step and do it see this and they go, what is that? I'm going to tell you so you'll know because it will mean more. You'll walk up. Maybe you'll see the guy in Starbucks in his fatigues, you know. Maybe you'll take an extra step and you'll walk up and pay for his coffee. And damn it, if you see a soldier in Starbucks, buy him a coffee. But when you say thank you, you stick your hand out, he'll stick that hand out. Give you that crushing handshake, that confident handshake. But all of that confidence will go away when you look in his face. He'll avert his eyes, and you'll see a kid. 
whether he's an old man in the military, which is like 30, or a young kid, it won't matter. And I'll tell you what it is. Inside him, he's thinking, I don't deserve this. Somebody else did more than me. You want to know why you should thank a vet? That's why. Because you'll see it. You'll see it in the guy that was riding a desk in South Carolina for five years. Used it to get through college. Never went anywhere. You'll see it in the person that was deployed into rough, rugged terrain that did a hard, dirty, dangerous job but was never shot at. You'll see it from the combat troop and you'll see it from the guy that lost a leg. That guy will feel the same way. Because as long as you came home, you know somebody else at some time else didn't. You won't feel, you won't understand that, you won't know what it is until you stick your hands out and you shake that man or that woman's hand. Today is the day to do it. And I want to, as I, as I go forward, I talk a little bit about the role of some non-combat troops today. I, I, I want you, I want you to realize that I'm not putting our combat troops down. I'm not saying they play second fiddle to anybody because they don't. I want you to realize something before I go forward. I have to make sure this is understood. I was a mechanic. I worked on vehicles. My job was to support the combat troops. Supply sergeant makes sure that everybody gets all their supplies. His real job is to support the combat troops. The person that's a TAMS clerk that files all the paperwork to make sure that everything goes where it's supposed to go and the people get attached to the right units, their job is to support the combat troops. The cooks that slave over the hot uh, stuff every day to make sure that people are fed, their job, even if they're not feeding the combat troop directly, even if they're feeding the mechanic, the supply per- sergeant, and the TAMS clerk, is to support the frontline combat troops. They're why everything else exists. Because that's the mission of the military, to fight. Whether you feel good, bad, or indifferent about that, that is the purpose of the military. And all of these positions, you know, every single one of them, communications specialist, supply person, aircraft mechanic, vehicle mechanic, construction equipment operator, all of these people exist to support that frontline troop. That's what it's all about. They exist to support the Marine Recon Troop. They exist to support the Army Infantry, the Army Airborne Infantry. They exist to support the Air Force Attack Squadron of F-16s, the Naval Battle Group. That's why they exist. They don't exist because somebody out there felt like, you know what we need to do? We need to come up with a job for people that want to be in the military, but they don't want to go out every day with a rifle or, or a tank and fight. We need to give them a place. That's not why they're there. They're there because the, the entire mission cannot happen without them. So as I tell you a story about where I went, and what not really what I did, but what other people did, I want you to realize that it's in no way taking away from the people that dodge bullets, because those guys have something something so special to be able to do that. But somebody has to feed them, and somebody has to make sure they get ammunition. And we also have to think about, if we're really going to understand veterans, and we're going to really understand our military, we're going to have to understand that they exist at all times, not just in time of war. We've been in what feels like a perpetual war zone since September 11th, 2001. We've been, on some level, at war, and we're at war now. We don't seem to remember peacetime right now. We seem to focus only on the fact that there's a battle to be fought right now. We don't realize that with all the people that have, you know, were in Iraq and have finally come out and all the people that are in Afghanistan that are in those places in harm's way, there's still hundreds of thousands of troops all over the world doing other things, both in war and in peacetime. I want to tell you the story of something that I was part of, that a group of about 800 men and women did in peacetime. We were deployed to a place called the Agwan River Valley in the mountains of Honduras. We were sent there with a mission, a very simple mission on paper. Build a road. 
Build a road about 10 miles long. Right now, what exists where the road will be built is a small one-lane tract, mostly used by horses and donkeys and things like that. Small pickup trucks are sort of able to get through, but it's a dangerous thing. These people live in the middle of nowhere. They have nothing. This road that connects these last two places, when it's done, will allow supplies to come in from both coasts. And it will connect these people to sustenance. So we went there to build the road. And we were on some levels excited because we were seeing something we never had. But we also were not excited because we knew what it was going to be about. For six months we lived in tents. We had mostly GP medium tents. Um, and each tent had about eight guys in a GP medium. So we had our little cots set up and our little areas, and we did the best we could. But we were, it was covered in dust and ticks. And it, it, when it would rain, this volcanic dust was like, it was like talco powder. Everybody that walked around looked like Pigpen from Charlie Brown. And when it rained, imagine dumping talco powder on your sink top and then soaking it down. With that. That's what this mud was like. And we lived in that for six months to build these roads. And when we got there, once we got everybody in and the tent set up and we were ready to go on our mission and start actually doing the job, you know, the surveyors had already kind of started that part, but we were ready to start rolling the equipment, maintaining the vehicles, and, and running and gunning. Commander, Colonel, pulled us all together, and he said to us, Men, we have six months to build this road. If this road is done six months from now, we will go home, which for us was Panama at the time. In Panama, when you're in Honduras living in a tent, you can go back to your air-conditioned barracks in Panama. That's a pretty nice place to be. You want to get back there. And he said to us, we, we can do this in six months and go home. If it's six months and we're not done, we'll be here seven months. If it's seven months and not done, we'll be here eight. This road is our mission. These people are depending on us, and we're going to do it. And you will not see home until you get your mission done. Then he turned around and said, but this is a motivated group of men and women. We can do this in five months. We can go home in five months. It's up to you. Let's make it happen. That was his whole speech. We went to work, and we were motivated, and we did know what we were doing, and we busted our butts, and every time a truck came in that was broke down, I would fix it and turn it around as quick as I possibly could. There were days when me and one other mechanic flipped three, four trucks for transmission or clutch jobs in a day. In that environment, no easy task. And we did that, and five months later, almost like a prophecy from what the colonel said, we were done. It was almost like he knew we could do it. And we were thinking, we're going to go home. They sent these guys out with these seismometer things, and they went up and down the road, these, these high-level engineering guys, to make sure it was compacted right. This was a gravel, four-lane, but gravel road, culverts everywhere to keep it from getting washed out, because the whole thing went through the middle of this valley up high in the mountains. And the road basically built a dam, and that's why it was so hard to do, because if all these culverts weren't put in to let the water flow through, they would just basically this dam would just break. And it would not only ruin the road we built, but it would you know harm all the people that lived on the other side of it. Basically, they would have a flood. And they said, good, it's good to go. They certified it. Done. And we thought we're going home. And they got the senior NCOs together, the sergeants and the officers and the colonel, and they all got together, the first sergeants, and they said, what do you think? What should we do now? And the colonel said, I think these men are motivated, and I think we can do some good stuff here for the next month. We already have our deployment scheduled. Let's stay. And there was some grumbling and gricing and stuff like that. We realized it was four weeks. It was four more weeks. Fine, let's do it. What are we going to do? And we had a lot of cinder block and a lot of raw materials. <clears throat> and we sent a few people home, some lesser support people that we didn't need. We began to scale back and strip down our own plywood buildings and things like that. And create more resources. And we took these resources and we went out. And what we mostly did is we built schools. I stayed turning my wrench. You know, I stayed taking care of these vehicles. I stayed getting ready, a lot of these vehicles ready to go home. See, I was going to stay there six more, six months full anyway. If we stayed six, I was going to be there seven because I had to get the vehicles ready to deploy back. And as each vehicle was ready, the people would take them and drive them out to the port so that they could leave. And I got those vehicles ready to go, man. And I was thinking about going home. And these guys went out and they built these schools. 
And then they built a bunch of schools. And then they said, we still have stuff. What can we do? And, and the towns had them build little community centers and things like that. And they went to some of the people that had kind of rudimentary housing, and they fixed their housing. And that's, that's what your soldiers did in peacetime. They built schools. They fixed houses. They built community centers. They built a road. So the people that couldn't be supplied could become supplied. So that an area could develop into something that actually looked like civilization. Because third world, my butt, this place was fourth world. You wouldn't believe what this place looks like. Maybe one day I'll scan all the pictures I have of it and get them online for you. And see, something happened during that time that I didn't really get at the time, but boy, I get it now. That drove home for me how dangerous what we were doing was because I was 19. You don't get it when you're 19. Please understand the sacrifices an 18-year-old kid makes and he puts his hand up, joins the military and goes off to serve. And the fact that he won't even get what he did. He won't get what the people around him did for years. One day, I was doing my job. I think we were swapping out one of the clutches. went out like crazy in this place because of the steep pills and things like that. And these old, old five-ton dump trucks. And uh, this five-ton, they, they drag it over on a, on a flatbed. You know, it can't roll. And they say, we need you to do a, uh, an ECOD on this truck for us. And I looked at it and went, okay, it's going to come out negative. And what I mean by that is an ECOD is estimated cost of damages. And when a mechanic does that, he looks at the vehicle and he says, hey, this vehicle is either okay to be repaired or it's going to cost so much to repair it, we're better off junking it. And I can look at this vehicle and go, there's no way it's going to come out positive on the ECOD. And they said, you got to do it anyway so we can get it out of here. So I start doing it. And I just look at it. Finally, I asked the guy that brought it in. I said, what happened? And he says, um, one of our guys was uh, trying to get some gravel into a location where we hadn't really finished the road yet. It was really narrow, and, and the road was in really good shape, and the whole thing just collapsed out from underneath him, and the truck flipped end over end. And if you've ever seen the big dump trucks that have the, the dump bed that comes over the cab of the truck, that's how these are. And that that big flat piece that goes over the cab had been smashed down and actually crushed the roof of the truck where the driver was to where there was no room in the seat at all. The The whole thing was smashed down and there was some blood in the vehicle and there was area down on the floor. And I said, God, I, I guess he, he got killed. And the guy says, no, he made it. I said, really? He goes, yeah, he ended up down there on the floor. But... Like his feet were broken, his ankles, his his lower legs, his his femurs, his his pelvis was just completely shattered. I mean, he had just been tore up. Couldn't walk, barely could move. They evac him to a place called Sotocano, and from there he was taken back to uh, San Antonio, to San Antonio Medical Center, which is generally where when a foreign overseas soldier from South U.S. Southcom is sent home. That's where they usually go is San Antonio. It's the best medical facility uh, in that range. And I don't know that man. I was detached to this unit. We were from an aviation unit. We were set to support them to give them additional mechanical help. And I don't know his name. I never met him. He wasn't in my unit. And at the time, I just finished up my report. I thought about him for maybe a half an hour, and I went back to doing what I had to do and being unhappy about being stuck in such a place and, and doing my job again. And that was somewhere in the middle, so it was a couple months into it. It's only years later when I looked back and I realized that on that hillside, on that day, a young teenage boy, the society called a man, sacrificed a huge part of his life and almost died doing a dangerous job so that someone else's life could be a little bit better. So when you ask me why you should thank a veteran, that's why. Because that's who our soldiers really are. I'll tell you this about our soldiers, even in combat, after they've cleared a city, cleared a town, taken control of it. Our soldiers are among a very elite group of soldiers in the world for a reason that doesn't get talked about a lot. Our soldiers are the ones that people and children run to instead of from. Our soldiers are the ones that play with the children instead of scare them. And don't tell me about the one-tenth of one percent that did terrible things. 
Because again, I could tell you about the one-tenth of one percent of priests, or school teachers, or pastors, or any other thing out there. Let me tell you about the majority of them. They're men and women just like you, that believed in something bigger than themselves. And they were willing to go out and do it. And now I'd like to tell you the story of Veterans Day, the full story of Veterans Day. I think this is something a lot of us that are my age or older learned back in school, but it gets filed somewhere way back in, in your brain and forgotten about in a brain cell that maybe has been uh, hammered with a little too much alcohol over the years or something. But as the war to end all wars, World War I was ending, this one, this, this day actually commemorates. It wasn't originally Veterans Day. Veterans Day was originally called Armistice Day because it represented the end of World War I, the Great War. Again, the war to end all wars, as it was called at the time. We know today that it was, it was not the war to end all wars. In the end, it was nothing but a prelude to something much more horrific. Of course, that was World War II. But at the time, as World War I was coming to an end, the horror that had been unleashed on the world was something that was hard to fathom. It was the first war with truly modern weapons, with large numbers of troops, and they fought it, at least in the beginning, on a large level, the way you fought a war in the old days, before the modern weapons. And it was a meat grinder for men. And it was a meat grinder for the civilian as well. It leveled and laid waste to parts of Europe that would take decades to recover. It was the most horrific thing that any living person had ever seen. And it just seemed like this has to be the last time the humanity will have the stomach for this. So it will be the final ceasefire, the final truce. And as the parties that be worked this out and put this together, they said, you know what, it's going to be right about the 11th of November. That's 11-11. And then among them they talked and they said, you know, wouldn't it be glorious if we could say someday the guns fell silent on the 11th month, the 11th day, of the 11th hour. And they all nodded their heads and said, yeah, that's a great idea. Let's do that. So even though there was plenty of time at this point where everybody knew the, what the end was going to be, and all they had to do was sign the dadgone piece of paper. But the 11th month, the 10th day, the 9th hour doesn't sound as cool. The war actually continued. And if you watch an old film or read an old novel, one of the greatest novels you can read to understand how horrific war really is, called All Quiet on the Western Front, You'll see a true story of a commander who took his troops up out of the trenches to make the last charge of the war. He did this about 15 minutes before the armistice was signed. And his men followed him. And when they took this charge, many of them died or were injured. And they killed enemy soldiers and injured enemy soldiers. And this didn't have to happen, but somebody somewhere had decided that it was important enough to lose more lives in a war that had already taken the lives of millions so that someday we could have some enchanting voice and music play in the background and see the big guns and hear that deep voice coming at the end and say, on the 11th month, the 11th day, the 11th hour, the guns fell silent, and the final shot rings out, and the smoke clears, and now we have peace. So, when it became evident that World War I was not the war to end all wars, and Armistice Day didn't really make sense anymore, and they started talking about, let's change the name to Veterans Day, let's make it a day to recognize all veterans that served all nations in the world. Let's make it a day to thank a vet. And you think of that today, whether you're in England or Canada or anywhere. Somebody served your nation. You thank them for what they did. 
But some people said, this is dumb. We shouldn't do this. This is a terrible idea. Let's have a Veterans Day, but not this day. Then the people that said, let's just change it to Veterans Day, said, why not? And they said, this is stupid. A bunch of people got together, French and Germans and Canadians. And they came up with this idea. And more people died because of it. And now? And now this day? This day, this time? This thing is going to be when we recognize our veterans? For shame. Let's recognize our veterans on a different day. Not a day that commemorates the stupidity of those in charge that cost the lives of more soldiers? That it extended agony for one second longer than it had to be? We didn't learn the lesson of World War I. War is not glorious. War is horrific. It's nasty. It's bloody. It's dirty. It's a last resort, not a first response. We shouldn't commemorate the glory of folly. If we are to thank a veteran, we should do a different day. But the other side won. And in some ways, I think it's a good thing. Because it's important for all of us who live our lives in a world today full of computers and video games and MP3 players and all types of distractions. And we get angry if the temperature in our pool isn't right. And we get angry if the temperatures in our home isn't right. We get angry if we're taxed one penny more or somebody else is taxed one penny less. We're angry if the item we went to the store for is not in the case that day. They're out of it. We're upset. There was a guy that called freaking 911 because McDonald's didn't have McNuggets. That really happened. So easy. For people living in that society where we have time to even care about such minutia, to forget the sacrifices that our soldiers make for us every day in peacetime and in war. The sacrifice that a 17, 18-year-old, 19-year-old child makes when they agree to wear the uniform and swear something we should all swear to do. Defend the Constitution of the United States of America. So help us God. It's so easy to forget that. And by doing it on this day of folly, we need to remember that they will often be asked to do things that are a mistake. They will often be sent on a mission that will cost lives that's not necessary. Somebody will make some stupid decision somewhere at the Pentagon or somewhere around the world, and not just for our soldiers, for other soldiers, that will cost lives that doesn't have to. And the soldier is not the one that gets to say, I'm not going to do that. You see, as a soldier, there's two types of orders that you are required by your duty to disobey. Illegal and immoral orders. If you're given either one, you are trained. You do not comply with the order. All other orders you comply with. So when you're told to take a hill, even if they're going to give the hill up two weeks later, like they did repeatedly in Vietnam, you take the hill. And if you're wounded or you die trying, that's your job. It's so easy for us to forget that that is the world they live in. But if we can remember that because somebody somewhere thought it was cool to put three different 11s together on the same day, so that they could have a beautiful, glorious memorial to one of the most horrific things that ever happened to humanity, maybe, maybe, we can remember. Maybe we can remember in our hearts what these people do for us today. So I'll ask you again, as I close today, go find that soldier. Go find that sailor. Go find that airman or that marine. Go find that person, again, that served in our Coast Guard. You don't realize the dangers those guys go through. And I don't care, again, if they were National Guard or Reservists. I don't care if they were stationed in South Carolina or Washington State. What you have to understand is from the day they rose that right hand up and took that oath forward until the day they were told, you've done a good job, your time is over, your contract is fulfilled, you can go back to your civilian life. And many times, even after that, you know, I was subject to recall for, for six years. 
They can go off and get a job, start living their life. They're not even the Guard or Reserves anymore. They're what's called the IRR, Individual Ready Reserves. This happened to people that had been years from service in Gulf War One because they had the new Patriot missile. There weren't enough people that knew how to use them. So they brought people that knew the old missile systems back, old men in their 40s, and pulled them back into service. From the day they raised their hand, that's always a possibility. Understand that. And that just because they were stationed in some place where they weren't in danger, or they did some job that you didn't think was dangerous, if they had been asked to go, they would have went. So find them. Shake their hand. Look them in the eye. And then watch what happens when you say thank you. Watch them break eye contact. It'll happen. It'll happen every single time. And now you know why. War was just a game we now you played when we were kids. With that, this has been Jack Spirico with a special Veterans Day podcast. Go out today and find a soldier, find a sailor, find a marine, find an airman. Grab their hand. So tell them thank you. And tell them you appreciate the things they've done for you. It will matter more than you If you're reading this, I'm already home. If you're reading this, halfway around the world, I won't be there to see the birth of our little girl. I hope she looks like you. I hope she fights like me. Stands up for the innocent and the weak I'm laying down my gun Hanging up my boots Till dad I don't regret That I followed in his shoes So Someone else, and that's okay. Just remember this I'm in a better place. The soldiers live in peace, and angels sing amazing grace. So take down If you're reading this, if you're reading this, I'm already home. This is where I'd settle down I thought I'd die an old man back in my hometown They gave me this plot of land Me and some other men For a job well done 
There's a big white house sits on a hill just up the road. The man inside he cried the day they brought me home. They folded up a flag and told my mom and dad, "We're proud of your son." And I'm proud to be on this peaceful piece of property. I'm on sacred ground, and I'm in the best company. I'm thankful for those, thankful for the things I've done. I can rest in peace. I'm one of the chosen ones. I made it to Arlington. I remember Daddy brought me here when I was eight. We searched all day to find out where my granddad lay, and when we finally found that cross, he said, "Son, this is what it cost to keep us free." Now here I am, a thousand stones away from him. Recognized me on the first day I came in, and it gave me a chill when he clicked his heels and saluted me. And I'm proud to be on this peaceful piece of property. I'm on sacred ground, and I'm in the best of company. I'm thankful for those, thankful for the things I've done. I can rest in peace. I'm one of the chosen ones. I made it to Arlington. And every time I hear twenty-one guns, I know they brought another hero home. We're thankful for those, thankful for the things we've done. We can rest in peace, 'cause we are the chosen ones. We made it to Arlington. Yeah, dust to dust. Don't cry for us. We made it to Arlington.